This program is sponsored by Wilsey Asset Management. Welcome to your commercial-free, uninterrupted investment show. Sponsored by the SEC-registered investment firm, Wilsey Asset Management, a fiduciary firm owned and operated by President Brett Wilsey, who has been putting clients' investment needs first for over 40 years. The Smart Investing Show has been giving unbiased financial information for over 27 years on local radio stations right here in San Diego, providing you with fundamental analysis on stocks and investments you want to know about. Now, here are your hosts, Brent and Chase Woolsey. Well, good morning and welcome to Smart Investing Show. I'm Brent Wilsey and thank you for joining us this morning. I've been doing the Smart Investing Show here in San Diego on local radio for 27 years. And I realized this morning driving in, Saturday mornings is one of my favorite days of the week because I get to do the Smart Investing Show for 27 years. Now, if you have investment questions or want a fundamental analysis of a stock you own or looking at buying, selling, or holding, please call in at uh, 866-577-2473. Again, that's 866-577-2473. And as always, that'll get you through for your unbiased, no strings attached, fundamental opinion about what you want to talk about. Chase, good morning. Good morning. Now, we got a lot to talk about this morning, but uh, you, you give me an interesting fact yesterday, which I don't think we put on our notes for this morning. But uh, we always talk about, you know, this is a very scary time because things are very expensive. And you had an interesting fact yesterday that the, I think it's the five technology companies are worth about $7 trillion, which is a multiple of somewhat of the European market, I think it was. Well, I was going to save that for next week once oh. I could actually read the article in a little more detail. Well, let's tease with it this week. And we'll <laughs> yeah, but it's just kind of the craziness. And, you know, we'll have more data on that for you next week. But the idea is that the uh, the largest technology sector in the United States is now larger than the European market. So, I mean, it's, it's just doesn't make much sense. And when you look at the numbers and we'll look at it a little bit closer next week, it's like, wow, that is quite crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And you, you know, before the show, we're sitting here chatting with Brennan, our our producer, and we're talking about the odds of uh, getting bitten by a shark. And I think it was one in 3.7 million. And and the lightning was, I think one in 700,000. I mean, what are the odds of investing in some of these crazy stocks and a year or two from now, they've gone up in 20%. I mean, I'm going to pick on Tesla. I mean, what are, like people buy it and they've said, oh, it's up a thousand percent. What are the odds it goes up another thousand percent? Right. I'm going to say pretty darn pretty low. Yeah. And, and that's the thing too, you kind of look at it. And, and people unfortunately invest, we're, we're getting off track, but we're on this great conversation. They invest based on what something has done in the past. Well, it's gone up a thousand percent. So therefore it's a great buy. I should buy it. Uh, do you do that in the store when you go to the store? Like, well, gosh, the price is way up. You know, it's not on sale. So I think I'll buy it now because it's a great time because everybody's buying it. And that always ends badly, even in real estate, everything. You, you If you buy at the peak of the market, you don't do well. We've seen a lot of people in real estate do very poorly because they bought at the wrong times. And it, it's something that happens. That's, that's the thing about investing. Everybody knows you're supposed to buy low and sell high. But unfortunately, People get sucked in with the emotions and because it went up 100% in the past, it's going to keep going up. And there is a theory for that that uh, is a financial theory. Yeah. And the other thing I look at is a lot of times people think that the stock market falls because of recession. A lot of times it's the other way around. Yeah. A lot of the time there's a bubble that bursts and that's what leads to the recession. So people are like, oh, look, I, I think I, I'll know 
when things are going to be, when things are bad, that's when I'll sell. You don't know when things are going to go bad. I mean, the, the examples we look at in 2006, it was the housing bubble that right. led to the takedown in the economy and also the stock market as well. But it wasn't necessarily the stocks that crashed and generated a recession. That was more the real estate side of things that just fell apart. But then in 2000, that was a recession that was caused by extreme valuations in technology companies. And people thought, oh, you know, it's, it's great and I'll get out before right. things go bad. And oh my gosh, <clears throat> they fell 70, 80, 90%. But the problem is people would look at it and it's down 20%. Oh, I'm just going to wait till it comes back. Now it's down 30%. Oh, I'll just wait. It'll come back. Yeah. You know, it's it's Intel. Of course it'll come back. Oh, it's, it's not coming back. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's leaving the stock. And then that's what leads to the recession. So people think that a lot of times they can get ahead of selling by kind of looking at the economic data, that's not always the case. Right. And and I, I thought you'd take the, the theory that I talked about. It's actually called the greater fool theory, which means yeah. you pay a high price. You're hoping there's a greater fool out there that'll pay a higher price than you. Probably Intel is not a great example to use because back in 2000, it was a whole different ballgame. Right now, people are saying, oh, yeah, Intel, of course, that's a terrible one. But again, back in the tech boom, it was the big one. It was a great one. It was Cisco, Microsoft, uh, gosh, there's even Amazon. Oh, yeah. Amazon was another company back in the 2000s that uh, there's a gentleman talking about it the other day, like with Tesla. Mm-hmm. And he's, he's a Tesla bull. Right. And he's like, I like Tesla, but it makes no sense. <laughs> you yeah. Know, like, yeah. He's like, it's just, it's crazy. And he's like, a lot of people don't realize that Amazon actually, they surged during the tech boom and then they fell 90%. Right. You never know when these companies are going to fall. Right. But they do. Yeah. There was big names back there too. I'll never forget JDS Uniphase was... Uh, in my opinion, probably like an Amazon or something. It was up like, I, I forget, three, four, five hundred percent. And it, and, it, and they, they had like no earnings. And it, But uh, yeah, but this is going to happen. This is going to happen. And, you know, so so what do you invest in? What do you do? Because, again, we talk about this. But uh, one thing we've talked about is buy the businesses that have good things. And, and we talk about auto or insurance companies in general. Is now the time to look at auto insurance companies? Autonomous driving has been an area of concern when looking at these businesses because it's unclear who will have the liability if there is an accident? If drivers no longer have the liability, then is there no need to purchase auto insurance anymore? Yeah. I, I mean, that, that was something that, that came about. And, you know, uh, it sounds concerning, but we've kind of looked at as well the, the full adoption of autonomous driving, I think, is decades away. You might start yeah. to get, like, some movement in it. But I think a lot of people in their 50s and 60s, I don't think they're going to want to do autonomous driving. I I like driving my car. I don't want some machine to drive it for me. And and I think there's a lot of people that would need to see it fully adopted before they would get actually involved in it. So I think it's just so far away. So that's a a reason that we're not super worried about it. But uh, on top of uh, good valuations as well, auto insurers also have some benefits that could even push them higher. Uh, Yeah, such as when the pandemic started, it was reported that about, what, 80% of drivers uh, age 24 to 44 had their, their licenses, their license. And and now 20 years ago, it was like 90%. And I've, and I see this, I see like, like, um, my son Nash, who's 17, uh, where are you going? Oh, I gotta go pick my friend. I go, doesn't he have a license? No, I go, he's 17. Doesn't have a license yet. I mean, when I was 16, like I got my license the next day. It says I was not going to wait. It has changed a little bit to where now like, eh, it's not a big deal anymore. Yeah. I mean, you think about that 80% to 90%. I mean, that that's millions of people, perhaps, yeah. that would now need auto insurance. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that's a big benefit. The other thing I look at as well is, is right now everyone's working from home. 
not everyone, but a lot of people are working from home. And you look at saying, oh, why would I need auto insurance? I think auto insurance is going to be terrible because no one's driving. Well, I still don't believe that we're going to have this in two (laughs) years from now. I think people are going to be sick of being at home. And what's also happening is people are now moving out of the urban areas, the, the downtown type scenery, and they're moving to the suburbs. Well, now shoot, now you got to drive farther <laughs> to get to mom's house, to get to your friend's house, to get to whatever house it is you're going to, or even work when we go back to work. Now that's going to be right. good for the auto insurance companies as yeah. well. And you know, it is funny, Chase, because I could work from home if I wanted to, but I like driving to work. I like driving to work because I'm thinking about what's going on. I enjoy seeing the different scenery. It kind of feels good. On the way home from work, it gives me time to kind of decompress. Um, I have the the opportunity. I could work from home. I would never do it. I think it's and and then I hear people. Oh yeah, this is so great working from home. I, I'm sorry. I I've talked to people in different companies. I don't think it's very productive. And I, and I think you're right. I think maybe in a year or so, a lot less people will be working from home because there is a benefit to going to the office. And also too, we've talked about this before. We'll just kind of touch on it again because when you're working from home, you don't get the benefit of working around people that have been there. 20, 30 years, you don't pick up their experience and their knowledge. So it, there is a problem with it. Or the camaraderie as well. Yeah. Just, I mean, people oftentimes, I mean, I've, I've played sports for pretty much my whole life, is you build that camaraderie with your teammates. I see businesses very similar to that, where the people you work with, you need to be on the same page with. You need to understand what's going on. So that, that team page is hard to build if everyone's working from home. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, that, that's some things I think about. And, you know, I think the auto insurance companies, again, are going to be big benefactors. If you look at the long term, I think short term people are going to worry about that. Oh, no one's driving. But I also did see traffic yesterday when I was driving. I was like, <laughs> yes, traffic. That's what we need to see. <laughs> we get so excited seeing traffic. And and also too, insurance companies are doing other things as well. And that's what you got to look for. And again, they're not paying, they're, you're not paying 20, 30 times earnings for these companies. I mean, and they have a good steady flow of business because insurance will always be needed, no matter what type of insurance it is. So uh, the names ExxonMobil, Pfizer, and Raytheon may mean something to you because it was announced this past week that there's big changes to the dial with ExxonMobil, Pfizer, and Raytheon will be replaced by Salesforce, Amgen, and Honeywell. Uh, and I, I think it's pretty interesting a decision. And personally, I'm not a big fan of the move. Uh, to begin with, I see Pfizer, Amgen, and Raytheon, Honeywell switches uh, as lateral moves, uh, no big deal there, as these companies are quite similar. I, I didn't really get the point of doing this whole change here. I mean, look at Pfizer and Amgen. Yep, two pharmaceutical companies. You look at Raytheon and Honeywell, both are heavily involved in aerospace. aerospace. So it was just kind of strange that they would switch those out. And, you know, I didn't take a close look at the valuations on those four companies, but I'm pretty confident they're pretty similar as well. So it, it was just a very strange move when you looked at those two switches that occurred for those companies. And the last one, I mean, Exxon, I mean, personally, I'm not a big fan of Exxon right now. Right. I think there's a lot of problems. They're, they're borrowing debt to pay the dividend. We've talked about Exxon, you know, not paying their employees their their benefits in the 401k, I think is what they cut but they're still paying the dividend. I think that's going to have to get cut down the road. I, I just think there are some problems with Exxon right now, but it has been in the index in some form since 1928. So it's a <laughs> major move. And I think it, it, it could have been a better opportunity to replace Exxon with something else, perhaps like a refiner that I think is a, a better value at yeah. this time. So you still have some energy in the Dow index, 
Because energy is still important oh, <laughs> in very, our economy, yeah, very, which very is important. just kind of strange. And then to replace it with Salesforce, even though you already have technology, I thought was quite strange. Yeah. And, and, and also, too, I know Salesforce, the valuations are a lot, lot higher than Exxon. And what I kind of saw here with this is that I, I believe this is setting the index up for a big fall. Um 12, maybe 18, 24 months on the road, because now you have much higher valuation companies, which you're putting them in, you're kind of almost like buying high. And 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 they are going to fall and then can make the Dow like, oh, the Dow's a big drop. Well, they changed. And and, and I think Exxon, again, it, it's, we're, we're still using oil. Uh, we are going to go back to flying planes. We're going to go back to the cruises and so forth. Uh, very important that you're, we're still going to use oil. Um, so if Exxon goes, I think it's around 40 now. So the next two, three years, it goes back to just 50, uh, not including the dividend. Uh, you're talking about, what, a 25% return uh, over two years, not including the dividend. So I, I, I think it is going to cause problems down the road, and it's going to kind of turn people off like, oh, the stocks are terrible. And it's like, no, you paid too high. Well, and I, I think that the committee made a mistake, and I think they succumbed to a lot of the, the technology pressure of when Apple did their stock split. Well, now their technology exposure was reduced just because it's a price-weighted index. So now they're saying, oh, we better get some more technology in here so we can catch back up to the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ. So let's put Salesforce in there. Well, now technology is, again, 23% of the Dow Jones index. Oh, is it that high? I didn't know it was that well, high. Well, yeah. yeah, when you put Salesforce in there, it's right. going to be 23%. Yeah. And it's like these people just love technology right now, and, and they don't care what's going to happen five years from now. Right. It's like, oh, I, I better put it in here because that's what's hot right now. Right. And I, I think it's going to be a problem for the index. I think if they would have kept Exxon in there or put something else that was a better value that still represented the economy, because that's the whole idea of the right. Dow is it tries exactly. to represent the economy. And I think not having energy in there is just ludicrous. But I think that would have been an opportunity to catch back up to the S&P 500. Because now if you're trying to mirror yourself after the NASDAQ and the S&P yeah. 500, you're already behind. Now it's going to be harder to catch back up. And if Salesforce does great, well, it's done great in the S&P 500, too. Yeah. So yeah. It, it's just, it's quite strange, in my opinion. Yeah. And who is the committee? Where do they, I you never read or see, you just hear about the committee, yeah. <laughs> you know? So, uh, also, too, kind of staying on that topic, uh, you know, the Dow versus the S&P 500. Uh, as we just mentioned, we're not a big fan of the Dow adjustment. Uh, the index has proven to be a great investment for many years, but people now believe that the S&P 500 is a better index but I, I, I don't know. I, I, I believe that's in favor due to the performance over the last 10 years. And, and I always talk about, too, when we do our presentation, now it used to be our workshops, now we do the um, uh, webinars on, on, on things. Uh, I think it's in there. Yeah, it, it is. Uh, where we show over the last 20 years, the average return for the S&P 500 is 5.5%. Yeah. I mean, it, it's it's crazy. And I always hear now people, too, oh, well, the S&P 500 is actually a better representation than the Dow because there's more companies. <laughs> uh, that uh, it's I'm sorry, that's just a dumb argument because you got you still have to look at the weightings of each sector and so forth. I mean, as I said, energy in the S&P 500, I think, was like 2% of the entire index. I mean, it's, it's tiny. I mean, Apple by itself now is over 7% in the S&P right. 500. So really, the S&P 500 is not a good representation on the economy. It's now starting to shift towards a tech representation just like the NASDAQ. So, I mean, you have to be careful and, and think through these things. But I think the reason people say it's better than the Dow is because as tech has done well, it has beat the Dow over the last 10 years because the Dow did have other components that were more heavily favored than tech. 
Exactly. Yeah. And, and just something that, again, it, it, you've got to understand what's beneath the numbers. And that's one thing people don't do. They just say, well, yeah, the, the S&P 500 has done this for the last, you know, three, four or five years. I'm going to get into it. Well, again, if you look at over history, whenever it does very well, it pulls back down. And that's why 20 year average, 5.5% of the S&P 500. Well, if you look at people, they have a very short term memory. Mm-hmm. If you look at the Dow versus the S&P over the last 20, 30 and 40 year periods, the Dow's actually beat the S&P 500 over those periods. But the problem is people, th- oh, 10 years, that's a long time. 10 years <laughs> is not a long time when it comes to investing. A lot yeah. can change. As I said, the Dow has been a, the outperformer. I think a lot of people wouldn't have guessed that over those time frames. It would have outperformed. And I mean, if you look at the last 40 years, the Dow has climbed 3,275%, pretty significantly higher and the S&P being up 3,079%, almost a 200% difference. Right. So, yeah. I mean, the thing is, while we're not big fans of the indexes, this still shows how great equities are right. in the long term when it comes to investing. And the Smart Investing Show that we do, it is to try to help educate people to understand these things. And uh, unfortunately, uh, I didn't uh, charge my iPad today, so not on Facebook. Uh, I, didn't charge our iPad. Yeah. <laughs> so we can do it today. But but that's why we do what we do to try to educate people. And if you still look in our whole philosophy, and I've been doing this now for 40 years, is now invest in, in, in small pieces of large companies, invest in businesses uh, for a two, three, four, five year period. And, and don't worry about like, oh my gosh, you know, I bought this and went up 10%. But yet, had I bought, you know, Tesla, I would have made 400%. That is not the norm of investing. And you start doing that, you're going to end up, so many people, so many people have lost all their money investing because they they get lucky at the timing of getting into something, but they don't have any foundation for what they did and they can't repeat it because they don't know what they did other than getting lucky and buying a Tesla. And again, Tesla's a great car, but it's ludicrous. Actually, I think they have a car that's called Ludicrous. I think it's a G. (laughs) It's called Ludicrous because how fast it goes. But it's ludicrous what that stock price is at. So uh, let's talk about automobiles, aircrafts, and industry machinery. Uh, As the economy continues to improve, durable good orders have seen a substantial rise. And this is so important for the economy, talking about how strong the economy is growing. Uh, It's a major benefit to the economy because durable goods are often items that last three or more years and are expensive. Now, ex- examples include you know, like automobiles, aircraft, industrial machinery. And I had a, a, a point as well to where I'm buying furniture. It's taken over, what, five weeks to get some of the furniture? Why? And that's, that is a you know, long-term good. investment, durable good order, um, because they can't make them fast enough to get them out the door because of the, the demand is so high. Well, I mean, look, let's talk about the numbers, talking about durable goods being high. Uh, Let's see here. The uh, durable goods orders climbed 11.2%, well above the estimate of 4.8%. And it also builds on June's gain of 7.7% and May's gain of 15%. I mean, we are just booming yep. on these durable goods right now. Uh, and also, like, let's talk about the motor vehicles and, and parts dominated the report as they climbed 21.9% last month and 85.6% in the month of June. Now, we do recognize those are small money numbers you're building on, but back in May, you thought, oh, no, these are terrible. Don't invest in automobile com- companies and so forth. They have really turned things around a lot, and shipments for durable good orders were strong as they climbed 7.3% in July and 15.2% in June. And we give you these numbers 
because of the fact that people think the only thing I can invest in that's going to go up is Amazon, Apple, uh, Facebook. That is not true. The economy is coming back. And I told people, we told people back in March and April, it will come back. It's going to take time. But these numbers, I, I got to say, back in March or April, if you told me that they were going to be up, you know, with these type of percentages, I said, well, probably not quite that good. We're doing very good coming back. And I always tell people, too, you got to temper your expectations now a little bit. Mm -hmm. Like, I, it just irritates me when I see on CNBC or somebody's, yeah, well, it's, it's a good number, but it's decelerating. Well, yeah, we're not going to have 85.6% <laughs> growth every single month. That's just not right. realistic. Yeah. And it is going to take time to claw back. We're not going to be at pre-pandemic levels or a lot of economic data, in my opinion, um, probably until next year. I mean, it, it's going to take time. It's not right. just going to be a snap of the fingers and wow, wow, that pandemic, yep, didn't even have to worry about it. Yep. And you got to, again, understand the numbers because, again, to grow something 85% uh, with a small number is much easier. When it gets a bigger number, well, it's going to be harder to grow at 85%. But because you're growing a percent off a larger uh, number, your growth unit-wise could be very close to what it was before. But percentages, oh, well, it's not very good. It's decelerating. But the numbers a unit produced could be very good. You got to understand the numbers. Very important. Yeah. So. yeah. But overall, I mean, I, I'm thrilled with the way the, the economy is shaping up. And, you know, I, I keep telling people it, it's going to be a clawback. It's not going to be a... a, a a moonshot back, you know, it's yeah. not just going to be a quick V. I think it's going to be, we're going to have to have some difficulties even now. Right. Well, I, we'll get back to where we were. Yeah. Well, let's open the phone lines. I, I kind of got to do that. I just looked up like, oh, we've been doing the show for 20 minutes already. We, we used to try to talk about 15, 20 minutes. Phone number is here. 866-577-2473. Again, that's 866-577-2473. And as always, that'll get you through for your unbiased, no strings attached, fundamental opinion about what you want to talk about. Let's talk about the average inflation targeting, as it's called. Uh, the Fed made a big announcement uh, yesterday morning. I think it was, was it yesterday morning or was it Thursday? Thursday. Thursday, Thursday, uh, that they will now shift to a policy to average inflation targeting. And to me, this makes so much sense especially considering where we're at right now in the economy. It is kind of, it is a strange economy. So this average inflation targeting is, I think, a very good thing. I think they set the target at, what, 2%. Well, and normally that that's the whole idea of this is that they have the concept that if inflation reaches their, their target of 2%, it's been that 2% target for, gosh, several years now. Um, but if it reaches that 2% target, then they'll look at, raising interest rates there say they're you know data dependent on that essentially but what they've shifted from is now saying well we're actually not going to use that two percent target once we hit it once it's basically an average because we had you know such a economic disruption with the pandemic now they're going to let that inflation run a little bit hot to kind of get the economy up and running again and then over time I think once things normalize, that's when they'll look at rising interest rates or raising interest rates. Yeah, and, and it just makes a lot of sense because and I, I use the example, uh, I was talking to somebody and saying, yeah, if one quarter they did 1%, the next quarter they did 3%. Now normally, oh, 3%, we got to raise rates because 3%. No, let's average two quarter together and get 2%. We're not going to raise rates. So it's very important to, to look at what's going on. I was very happy to see that they're doing that because in the past, I don't think they would have used this average targeting. Yeah, and, and the reason it's so important is because we are still going through, you know, some economic difficulties, and I think the data may come out where inflation is present, 
And if we raised rates too quickly, that's going to raise the cost of borrowing, which hurts businesses, which hurts home buyers, which hurts you know automobile buyers. It's really spread across a lot of different groups where it could stunt the economic growth a little bit. So I think they're saying, well, let's get back to a little bit more normal economy. And once we hit that, yeah, then we'll reconsider raising rates and, and getting back to more normalized rates. Because I'll tell you what, <laughs> these rates will not be a good idea five to 10 years from now. We no. need to have some type of normalization. And I think it's going to probably take 12 to 18 months before we do look at raising rates. But again, over the longer term, it, it's just not sustainable. Yeah, and you said five to 10 years. I'd say three to five years. Yeah. I yeah. Mean, and time goes by very quickly. All right. Phone number is 866-577-2473. Again, that's 866-577-2473. Let's head out to Lakeside and speak with David. David, you're in the Smart Vessel, Brent Chase. How can we help you? Hey, good morning, fellas. Thank you. Uh, thanks for all the great information you give. Oh, you're welcome. I appreciate it. Yeah, I'm looking at a stock, uh, Dan, David Adam Nora. Okay, and do you hold that or looking at buying it? I was looking at buying it. It's, uh, it's been around for the, since the early 1900s. They're famous for uh, transmissions. Oh, okay. I was wondering what they do because, and I like the symbol. I almost messed up because I saw Lakeside. I was going to say, well, let's go to Dan. But then I realized, wait, that's a symbol. David's a name, not Dan's. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's take a look at uh, uh, Dana Incorporated, symbol D-A-N. Uh, not a bad start because the industry is high, but the P-E ratio 25.8 versus 73.8. So again, good compared to the industry. Price of sales looking very good, 0.28 versus 0.78. Price to book value, 2.1 versus 8.4. And then price to cash flow is 5.2, better than half the industry at 12. So the valuation ratios do look very attractive here on Dana Incorporated. We do see, unfortunately, sales were down 15% year over year. Industry down 13.75. Earnings per share fell by 64.5. Industry down 71.8. We'd kind of expect that since the company does transmissions. Well, obviously not as many cars being made. But what's going to happen going forward? I bet you their demand is very high at this point in time. Look at the balance sheet. I'm, I'm unfortunately not happy with what I'm seeing here because I see a current ratio of 2.2 versus 1.6. That is good. A lot of liquidity in the company. But what I don't like seeing is a debt to equity is 175, well above the interest at 105. So I would be concerned with that much debt in the balance sheet. Hopefully in the process of trying to pay that down. But it does worry me seeing that high of a debt to equity. Return to equity is a 4.8 versus 3.9. Net profit margin checks in at 0.5. That's about half the industry at 1.05. Receivable turnover looks good, 6.2 versus 5.5. And inventory turnover, very close to the uh, industry at 5.4. Industries at 5.5. Chase, what about the earnings going forward? No, well, I did kind of take a little closer look here because I, I was curious. I, I thought it was uh, Dana here was the, the name of the, the company, but it is a different company. It's Dana is the, the company. That, yeah. That's what I thought of right. when, when uh, we got the, the symbol here. But the company does have a diversification in terms of the, the vehicles it supplies. I mean, they, they do have the light vehicle segment and the commercial vehicle segment. They also have off-highway and other power technologies. So I always like to see that just because they are touching upon different areas in the economy where if, well, light vehicle sales are slow, hey, maybe things are going really well on the commercial side. People are transporting things. They need to replace those axles, things of that nature. So I, I like to see that in the business. But looking at the numbers here for, for Dana, uh, current price is $14.11, 52-week high, $19.21. And wow, 
52-week low, $4.22. I mean, this thing has skyrocketed off the low. If we look forward to December 2021, see estimated earnings per share on a gap basis, $1.72. Would give us a target sell price of $27.86. So, I mean, there's definitely value to it here. David, but uh, definitely would have to understand the balance sheet a little bit closer. Yeah, the balance sheet and also, too, I mean, who they're making transmissions for. Uh, I, I like the concept of it, but again, more research, uh, look at what they have going on. And again, why is that debt so high? That, that does kind of worry me. And and one thing that could happen, David, is that perhaps they've been doing stock buybacks, which will reduce their cash, which will reduce their assets, which will reduce their equity. You know, so a lot of things you got to understand about that. Well, the other thing they could have done, you said their current ratio is really high, mm-hmm. is they could have pulled out a line of credit there to kind of get them through this difficult time. If they repay that line of credit, that debt could look a lot better and could yeah. make some sense as an investment. Yeah, we actually own a banking company in our firm. We actually looked at they did extend a lot of credit, but they were just open credit. They didn't actually use them. I think a lot of companies doing the same thing. They're getting that just in case. All right, David, does that help you out? Yeah, it does. Uh, I appreciate it, guys. Thanks again very much. Okay, thanks for calling. Have a good one. You too. Bye-bye. All righty, that does open the phone line, 866-577-2473. Again, that's 866-577-2473. Let's head out to Del Mar and speak with Jim. Jim, you're on the Smart Vegetable Brent Chase. How can we help you? Good morning, gentlemen. How are you this morning? Good. How are you doing? Not bad. I'm driving along, so if this background noise bothers you, feel free to mute me. I think you're doing okay now. (laughs) All right. Uh, Marathon Petroleum Corporation. I got a a whole bunch of leaps that expire in about 16 months at 20. And I want to just uh, see your feeling about Marathon Petroleum. Okay. Well, let's take a look. It's a Marathon Petroleum Corporation. Symbol is MPC. Not a great start here, Jim. Uh, PE ratio, not material, but that's the same as the industry. However, price of sales does look very good. 0.24, about what's that? One-fourth, one-fifth of the industry at 1.3. Price to book value, 2.2. That's double the industry at 1.02. And we do see no price of cash flow, but the industry is at 3.3. So I'd want to know what happened to their cash flow. I would look at the cash flow statement to see, did they pay something off? What happened? Why did they not have some some type of positive cash flow here? We do see a, a nice dividend of 6.3%, but obviously the dividend payout ratio is not material because they have no earnings. So they are probably either taking from cash or borrowing, which I don't like, to pay that dividend. So that could mean one or two things. They might have to cut that dividend or keep borrowing. Neither one of those, neither one of those things I do like. Uh, sales are down 13.6% year over year. Industry down 17.6. Earnings per share fell by 358. While that's a very bad number, it was better than the industry decline at 400. The balance sheet looking a little bit uh, timid here at uh, current ratio 1.3. About the same as the industry, but debt to equity for Marathon Petroleum, 135 versus 85 for the industry. Return to equity is a negative 26 and a half, better than the industry, a negative 32. Uh, net profit margin, a negative 8.2, far better than the industry, a negative 52.9. And we do see a good receivable turnover at 17 versus 6.2, and also a decent inventory turnover at 10.6, uh, slightly better than the industry at 9.5. Chase, tell us about hopefully some earnings for this company. Yeah, so Marathon Petroleum did close yesterday at $37.09. Uh, of course, well off the 52-week high of $69.65. Oh. 
That 52-week low is $15.26. Now, if I look forward to December 2021, I see estimated earnings per share on a gap basis, $1.57 would give us a target sell price of $25.43. Now, with that said, the earnings are all over the place. I mean, the high estimate's $3.81, and the low estimate's a loss of $0.20. So, I I mean, this is a very difficult company right now to really analyze because it is tough to tell where the energy market's going to head over the next 12 months. That's why the analyst estimates are all over the place. Yeah, so and I, th- I think you said your leaps expire in six months. I mean, that's a kind of a short time frame. Um, and uh, six, 16 months. What's that? 16. Oh, 16 months. Okay, well, that, that, that does make it a lot better because uh, over 16 months, I think we'll have a whole different type of economy. I do believe at that point in time, COVID will be a thing of the past. Uh, we'll return to some normalcy. I think planes will be flying. Boats will be sailing. People will be driving more. So I think there's some benefit. Boats will be sailing. That doesn't help me. What's that? Boats will be sailing. That doesn't help me. Well, Marathon Petroleum, they do petroleum, right? Yeah. Yeah, but sailing doesn't use any oil. Come on. Oh. <laughs> okay. Boats will well, be boating. Yeah. yeah, boats will be boating, yeah. That's better. That's better. And, and we had a cruise line, a portfolio before, and, and I know they're not, they don't sail, but they actually do call it, you know, you, you know, sailing. They, you know, even though you're not sailing, <laughs> I got gotcha. you. Would you, would you comment on the fact that there's no PE ratio for the industry? That was one of the first things you said, and that's, that's uh, curious to me. Um, it's probably the fact that again, a lot of, you know, energy companies are just having problems. I mean, it's and, just, yeah. and the other thing too, is a lot of these energy companies have had to take write downs because of the price of oil collapsing. Mm-hmm. They have to take a mark to market adjustment on the balance sheet. So, I mean, like sure. for example, if you look at December, 2020 on a gap basis, Marathon Petroleum is estimated to lose $16 and 56 cents, but a pre-exempt basis or non-gap, they're just estimated to lose $2 and 81 cents. I believe a large reason for that is those mark-to-market adjustments that have just been crushing these energy companies. So I believe that's why a lot of energy go. companies have no PE. Yeah. All right, Jim? Wasn't that mark-to-market a, uh, a large percentage of the 2008 crash? They went to mark-to-market and crushed a lot of, just a lot of uh, loan portfolios. Yeah, on the real estate side you're talking? Yes. Yeah, yeah. And and that is one thing you have to look at because we do have uh, a company in our portfolio, and I forget what it is. We actually, and we just talked about this. We just did our client event. Again, it's going to be by a webinar, but uh, where we talked about one company where they marked something down, but we're confident it's going to come back up again. So that's what you have to understand is what do they mark down? What is the future of that hold? All right, guys. Thanks so much. Okay, Jim. Thanks for calling. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Right, bye now. Uh, the interesting thing was on what you're discussing is that that company that we hold, they marked down their pension plan is what they actually marked oh, down. Okay. So there's a loss on the pension plan. So the thing is, once the investments come back in the pension plan, well, now they readjust that mark to market and it comes back as earnings. So that that's a benefit. And the other benefit to it is it's not a cash expense. It's not like, oh, the investments went down. Right. Oh, I got to put cash in. And wow, that's cash flow going out the door. Yeah. No, it's just the way the accounting works. And I and I believe there is some accounting that some things you mark them down, but you cannot mark them back up again. Do you remember something like that? And uh, I, I thought I thought it was better of uh, inventory or market. Yeah. So it's um, you know what your, whatever your cost was. I don't believe you can exceed the cost of it. Um, that there was something interesting with it. Yeah, there's some accounting rule, and I, I know there is a accounting rule. I think it's called um, better of uh, cost or mark to market or something. Yeah. 
Uh, but I thought there was something out of that. Maybe you can't raise it above the cost or so something. I don't believe, yeah. So like yeah. if you bought a barrel of oil at, let's say, $40 a barrel and it goes down to 20 well, now you have to market to the market at 20 So right. that's where that loss comes into play. But if it goes back to 40 now you can readjust it on the inventory back to 40 But if it goes to 60 you I think you that. leave it at 40 40 right. Which is something we really want to know because that's a big benefit to you. So that's why, again, it's so important. Understand the financial statements. All righty. Uh, let's see. Phone numbers again, 866-577-2473-866-577-2473. Let's head out to Coronado and speak with John. John, you're on the Smart Investing Show with Brent Chase. How can we help you? Yeah, hey, guys. Good morning. You know, the stock I'm uh, looking at, I currently hold it. It's Allstate. Okay. And... Uh, you know, it's kind of kind of just been lackluster here. Um, you know, you guys were talking about the insurance industry a little earlier, um, but it's a core holding of mine, and uh, wondering about adding a little bit to my position. Okay, uh, percentage wise, how much does it make up on your portfolio? Uh, it's less than one percent. Oh, okay, so so that's fine then. And again, insurance companies are not going to move dramatically, and and I think right now they could be kind of held down a little bit because we're going to hurricane season. We had, what, Hurricane Laura just come on through. I, I do believe the media kind of overhyped it a little bit. Didn't seem to be much damage, but there was obviously some. Um, but that's one thing with insurance companies when you go through hurricane season, eh, they, they could kind of, you know, languish a little bit until, until we get through the season. So let's look at the numbers on all state insurance. Symbol is all, A-L-L. Great start here. P.E. ratio 7.1 versus 18. Price to sales looks good, 0.7 versus 1.1. Price to book value, 1.2 versus 1.5. And price to cash flow checks in at 5.9. Also below the industry at 6.9. So all the valuation ratios do look better than the industry average. That's a good thing. We do say they, they pay a decent yield of 2.3% uh, on the dividend. And they only use 15% of their earnings to pay that out. So they could see that continue to grow over time. We do see sales year over year up 4.1%, just below the industry growth of 4.6. Earnings per share did climb by 89% when the industry only climbed by 64. Uh, it's an insurance company, so a little bit different balance sheet, no current ratio. Debt to equity 24.6 versus 34. Return on equity for Allstate, very good, 18.2 versus 7.1. Net profit margin, 10.3, well above the industry at 6.1. Chase, what about the earnings going forward for Allstate? Yeah, so current price here for Allstate, $94.30, 52-week high, $125.92, and the 52-week low is $64.13. Now, if you look out to December 2021, I see estimated earnings per share on a gap basis, $11.11. That would give us a target sell price of $179.98. I mean, it, it's just extraordinary in terms of the valuations uh, and you get a nice dividend with right. it as well. Right. And, and I always, you know, I remember reading from uh, the Davis funds, Christopher Davis, Shelby Davis, who were big followers of Warren Buffett, that insurance companies are very good long-term investments, but they're just not very exciting. But I'm sorry, if you're going to average 10, maybe 15% per year over a 10 year period, I get pretty excited about that. Well, that's me. <laughs> well good john so we we like it uh, and again so, since it's such a low percentage of your uh portfolio probably adding to it would make a little bit of sense yeah all right Sounds good guys thanks, thanks. john bye-bye all right
All right. You know, and I was checking the screen because when it was a couple of weeks ago, I pulled the screen down. I said, gosh, we've got no callers. Well, this is real. We have all phone lines open now. It doesn't happen very often here on the Smart Investing Show. So if you want to call in, we guarantee you'll get on through. We got, what, 20 minutes left? 866-577-2473. Again, that's 866-577-2473. And I look up and I see somebody there. Yeah, that was quick. <laughs> that was very quick. So uh, we need the symbol, though, for... Uh, While we wait for yeah. the symbol from Mike uh, in El Cajon, I, I was going to say, too, it's interesting, uh, just kind of continuing on with Allstate. A lot of people don't realize that Allstate has also expanded their insurance. A lot of, they're yeah. not just auto and home anymore. They, they do protect devices, let's say, like my computer or, you know, mm-hmm. uh, I think washers and dryers even. I mean, they, they have a lot of these different protection plans or even identity protection now as well. That's a big one. Benefits. Yeah. I mean, they have a lot of different things in place. And again, while it's not super sexy, hey, if they're protecting the technology, that's more policies enforced for them as more people get those technology items. So it, it's kind of a way you can benefit from increased technology without buying the expensive tech. Right. And, and also, do you want to understand what your business does, that they're not being left behind? We always make an example of the Polaroid camera to where it didn't yeah. keep up. Same thing with any business you buy, including insurance company. You want to make sure they're not staying with the old thing of just having auto and home. They realize that there's other and again, the great one is identity theft. And 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 you see all these, I, we just bought a washer and it's just like, do you want the uh, uh, warranty coverage? And no, I'm okay with it. I, I can afford it if it, if it breaks again. Um, but again, that's a big business for them. Yeah. A lot of people do that. So and with laptops and computers as well. So, all righty, let's head as we promised out to El Cajon and speak with Mike. Mike, you're in the Smart Investor Show with Brent and Chase. How can we help you? How are you guys doing this morning? Good. How you doing, Mike? I'm not too bad. Good. So I've been I've been seeing an advertisement on television in the last couple of weeks um, for things that they called stocks by a slice. Stocks uh, by a what? But it's fidelity. Yep. And I guess you can put in hundred dollars and they'll divvy it up in different places. I just need some explanation on exactly how that works, if you could. Yeah, so I believe if, if it's the same product I'm thinking of is, you know, when Apple was trading at $500 share, now they're doing a stock split, so it's a little bit different. But there's been these brokerage firms that are saying stocks by the splice. You can now buy a splice of Apple where it's like, ah, I don't want to put $500 into Apple. I, I want to, you know, let's say invest $500. They'll give you a splice of Apple at $100, a splice of Amazon at $100, things of that nature to kind of build a little mutual fund almost, I'll call it. And it's not a mutual fund, but it gives you diversification in these different stocks where you're not having to buy Apple at $500. It's $100 per share. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That, that was one of my questions. It really did sound like a mutual fund. Yeah, it, it's it's almost like a little package that they put right. together. And, and that's kind of what I've yeah. seen. I mean, we don't use it at our firm, so I'm not super familiar with the intricacies yeah. of the details, but that's the way I've understood that product. And, and Mike, one yeah. thing I'd want to look at, too, is what are the expenses for them doing this little service of splicing these up for you? Um, because yeah. the expenses could be could be very high. Maybe maybe not, but you want to understand that before you jump in and say, well, I'm getting a little bit of Apple, yeah. a little bit of you know this and that. But then you find out, well, shoot, I'm paying, you know, 2% for this. Well, that's not a very good deal. Yeah, and especially yeah. Y- you are getting a little mutual fund against those people call it. And it's not a mutual fund. I want to be clear about that. Right. <laughs> and it's some type of product. Yeah. And, and it's a lot of technology as well. Yeah. Where it, it's not really a diversified portfolio. You're getting a lot of technology in these. And, yeah. and I'm not sure how much you're looking at investing. But, I mean, one thing I'm thinking at, there's probably an ETF out there 
that you could buy that's similar to what they're trying to do. And again, you got you, you got to compare. Like when you're shopping, compare compare these slices that they're doing. Uh, look for an yeah. ETF that maybe has very similar companies into it. I I, I think ETF ETF uh, yes exchange traded funds is what that stands for. All right. So what's the do you know what the lowest investment is? I, I mean, can I go in it with fifty bucks, or would they kind of ignore me? Or do I have to have like you know five hundred dollars or something? I'm not familiar with the uh, the slice thing. Perhaps I know an ETF. You could buy one share of ETF, and if the ETF trades at fifty dollars, you invest one share of fifty dollars. One share of fifty dollars. Yeah. Oh, okay. Alrighty. All right. All right. That's what I wanted to know. All, All right, right, Mike. Thank you. Thanks for calling. Have All a good right. one. Bye bye. All right. Bye. Alrighty. That opens up the phone line eight six six five seven seven. Two, four, seven, three. And the thing that you have to realize is a lot of these companies, Fidelity and, and Schwab and, you know, uh, TD Ameritrade, even though they were just bought by Schwab, they're still out there to make money, of course. So they they're, have a lot of people that invest with them, but they also have these products that they try and, and sell. And I'm not too, again, familiar with these, these splices, but I think they're trying to play the hot tech trade right yeah. now and coming up with these bundled packages, what they're essentially trying to do to generate some buzz. Yeah, and you, you got to be careful with Wall Street. They will come out with products that sound very exciting, and they charge fees for them, and then you find out, like, well, that was a waste of time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> all right, let's go. Uh, let's head up to Temecula and speak with John. John, you're on the Smart Investor, Brent Chase. How can we help you? Yeah, good morning, guys. How are we doing? We're doing great. How about you? Awesome, thanks. Yeah, you know, just a quick aside on the on the insurance companies. You know, Aflac looks like it's a pretty good value right now, and um, and, and, you know, I bought Prudential down at about 40 bucks and making, you know, a 10, 10%, you know, dividend. It's been a, a great investment for me. Good. Good. And, uh, and Affleck, I like that duck, but the thing I would say that I'd be a little bit concerned about is I think they only do disability insurance and I could be wrong on that. I don't, I've never looked at the company closely, but be careful of that. Yeah. I, I, I'm, we're looking at it now, but, uh, yeah, I haven't jumped on it. Um, you know, one of the things I've been looking at, uh, both from a dividend perspective and, and maybe some opportunities, looking at some REITs um, that are in the healthcare industry and a little bit more specifically on long-term health and, and some of those. And, you know, most of them are small. And I've been looking at OHI and LTC, and but LH, LHI, uh, National Health, looks like it might be a, a good spot for me. I was wanting to get your guys' perspective on that REIT. Okay, sounds like a good idea. Let's take a look at uh, National Health Investors Incorporated. Symbol is NHI. Not a bad start here, John. The PE ratio is 14.7 versus not material for the industry. So that's a big positive. What's not a big positive, though, is price to sales is 8.5, about eight times higher than the industry at 1.7. Price to book value looks okay, 1.9 versus 1.25. And price to cash flow is 10.4. The industry does not display a price of cash flow. Uh, we do see a nice dividend here. You're right, 7%, but the dividend payout ratio of the last 12 months is 101%. And obviously, logically, you can't pay out 1% more than you're earning over any time frame. That's not going to last. Either the dividend has to be cut or they got to start using cash or borrowing money. So be careful that juicy dividend that could be cut. Uh, sales year over year look good though, 9.2%, industry down 1.7%. Earnings per share, very good at 19.6. And I say very good because the industry was down 
and 95% on their earnings per share for the last 12 months, year over year. The balance sheet, no current ratio versus 0.45 for the industry. We do see debt to equity looking good, 1.4 versus 2.7, I'm not, not 2 point, but 275%, so that debt to equity looks very good. And this could be like a financial company to where they have a different balance sheet. So you got to really look at the balance sheet to understand that. Return to equity, 13.1 versus negative three. Net profit margin, very high, 57 versus negative 4.5. That's almost too high to where I'd want to check out how did they earn 57%. They may have sold an asset or maybe low earnings last year or something, but you want to understand why that's 57% number almost too good to be true. Receivable turnover 3.9 versus 7.2 and nothing on inventory turnover. Chase, what about the earnings? Yeah, so current price here, $63.12, 52-week high, $91.12, and 52-week low, $31.37. Now, since this is a REIT, we don't look at earnings per share. We look at funds from operations. Reason being, as a real estate company, you have a lot of non-cash expenses like depreciation, for example, which is going to weigh on earnings, but it's not necessarily going to hurt cash flow as much. And one thing, I kind of speaking on that, that dividend before I look at the target sell price, is with the dividend, the earnings, oftentimes that payout ratio often looks scary with REITs because they do have requirements on how much of their earnings they have to pay out. But if they can pay out that cash flow and it doesn't tap into that, then it should be safe and sustainable. So that, that's one thing you'd have to look at on the cash flow statement. But looking at funds from operations going out to December 2021, I see that's estimated to be $5.58. Gives a target sell price right near that 52-week high as a target sell price is $90.40. So I like it, John. I, I think REITs are an interesting space. I'm not a big fan of them in, you know, kind of the collection of them as a whole, but I think the healthcare REITs are a great, great place to be investing. We're actually going to do a post on that next week, next week on, yeah. on social media and, and might touch on it a little bit more in detail on next week's show and, as well. And I will also point out, um, uh, John, you really got to look at what they hold in this REIT, um, you know, Wise, because the REIT that we hold, we know what their payout ratio is as far as what they're collecting on the rents. It was very positive. Um, you understand what they're doing because sometimes they could have other things in there that well don't quite make it. So you want to make sure that the what's held in that that REIT are strong real estate. All right. Perfect. Yeah, and if if you guys have time in that that article, uh, LTC is just a really small cap. It's only like a billion dollars. Uh, but I think that might be an interesting play in the same in the same space. Yeah, yeah, that, that very well could be. And you know, we can because um, we're kind of wrapping up a little bit here. We got ten minutes left. I do want to get the rest of the callers there. So, sure. um, but yeah, maybe, maybe call back next week. We'll look at that one for you. Thanks. Take care, guys. Okay, John. Appreciate have a great one. Bye bye. Yeah. Bye now. All right, that does open the phone line eight six six five seven seven two four seven three. That's eight six six five seven seven two four seven three. Let's it up to Carlsbad and speak with Don. Don, you're on the Smart Invest Show, Brent Chase. How can we help you? Yes, hi. Well, first of all, thanks for taking my call because it's a little bit different and maybe a hot potato for you guys. <laughs> yeah. I understand if you don't want to go any further with my answer. Um, do you have a philosophy, um, and I hate to get into politics, mm -hmm. but it's an issue right now for me, and uh, I'm concerned about if one party – goes you know gets the gets gets the nominee of the election uh how that is going to affect uh, okay the democrats affect, <laughs> we know where you're going uh, don <laughs> yeah how that's going to affect my my uh, uh portfolio 
Sure, sure. And it is funny when I saw you calling and it says question about political views. Like, uh oh, we're going to. Are you going to ask us about our political <laughs> right, views? Yeah. I don't want to talk about that too much. But, <laughs> but yeah, we're not a we're not a political talk show. But but it is uh, important because we do have an election coming up, and 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 people do get very worried about you know if the wrong person gets in office, and I'm not going to say who that is. I guess I just did when I said gets in office, and <laughs> the other guy's already there. But um, you, you know, I've been doing this for 40 years, and it's always a concern. And, and I will tell you doing this. I mean, I remember back investing money and people were so concerned if this guy, Bill Clinton, he's so smooth, if he gets in, the markets are going to crash. He wants to do this crazy health care thing and so forth. That didn't happen. And then, then we had a, a couple years of the Bush administration, Republican, obviously. Then like, oh my gosh, who's this guy, Obama? If he gets in, the market's going to crash. It's going to do terrible. Well, that didn't happen. So what we look at is that it's not, and again, the president is a very important person, obviously, but businesses are very smart. you got some great CEOs on some great companies. We, we still have a lot of laws that we really will help them out. It could have an a, a impact initially the, the day after the election, but it's not always what you were. And I, I think, Chase, you're going to talk about uh, four years ago. Yeah, I, was gonna, I mean, it, it's not even just the Democrats. I, I always tell people. 50% of the country hates one candidate and 50% of the country hates the other candidate. And there's, you know, a little room for error. There is, that's who's going to win the, the presidency. And the thing is, I mean, when Donald Trump was running, oh my gosh, this guy's a wild card. If he gets in, wow, the stock market's going to fall. And I don't want to be in stocks. We had people freaking out about that. And then what happened? Oh my gosh, Dow drops 800 points after he wins. That was just the futures next morning. It's up. Yeah. And, and the thing is, it's such a short term thing because there's so many other factors that go into it. I mean, I'm just going to say, let's say Biden gets in. If the Senate remains Republican, well, he's not going to be able to pass these ludicrous ideas of, you know, Medicare for all and increased taxes to these exorbitant rates. It's just not going to be a, a, a way of action for that party. So that's the thing that kind of tempers a lot of people's fears is a lot of the craziness that's being pitched is just not going to be able to pass. And, and there's a couple of things that we think of as well that both uh, Trump and uh, Biden agree on that we need infrastructure. So that's something you do. Now, one thing I, I think if that the Democrats do get in, I do worry for a lot of these high flying stocks that are just way overpriced because that's not going to be good for them. And and that's where you know a lot of these companies, the valuations are, are priced to perfection, well, now you've got an administration that's coming in that's going to maybe change things and tax things and so forth. That could really hurt some of these high flyers. So that's why we stick to buying businesses. And also, too, when we invest, we are looking at down the road two, three, four years. Uh, and we know the businesses we buy, they are going to make money. And we're very careful what we pay for businesses. Because if you overpay and the wrong thing happens, yes, you could get burned. So hopefully your portfolio is one that is weathered for a storm just in case that Biden storm comes along. And I guess I just probably shouldn't have said that, but oh well. <laughs> That's a great answer. Thank you so much. You're welcome, Don, and, and, and sit tight there. All righty? Thank you. All right, thank you. Bye-bye. You know, it's so important when, when people look at investing, it's always these emotional things that come out, and nothing is ever going to be perfect. I mean, that's the tough part about investing, is you're always going to have items. Oh, my gosh, you're going to have this. And, oh, did you know this was going to happen? And it's always the, the black yep. swan type event that kind of gets you. Yep. And, and I always talk about uh, when we invest people's money, we're wrong a third of the time. I mean, that's going to happen. There's always somebody all the time that is right all the time, but it's never the same person. 
because when you're looking at the news, like, well, this guy did this and this guy did that and this woman did that and so forth, you're always going to find somebody that got it right, but it's never the same person. And that's why we stick to our philosophy and why we recommend people do the same thing is that, yes, I would love to say, yes, we bought Tesla, you know, 100 and now we're up 2000% how smart we are. But there was no reason fundamentally back when it was at 100 to buy that business other than, well, yeah, but it could be this and it could be that. Again, it turned out well for people. But you've got to understand what you're doing. And, and again, there's people that probably bought Tesla think they're the smartest people ever. But many times those people, they take those earnings and then they do the same thing with something else. And we might say they buy uh, what it's called, Nicola, Nicola. Nicola, and then they lose all their gains. So because there's no investment philosophy there other than just buy something exciting. So Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. I was talking to our financial planner last night, uh, Harrison Johnson. I, I was talking to him just about how people sometimes look at strategies and they want to implement their own investment philosophies. The problem is there's so many contradicting philosophies. You can mm-hmm. read one book that says this or listen to one person on TV that says this and then somebody else that's been successful, and I'm doing the quotation marks in air right now that you can't that see you on can't radio, see radio. <laughs> but they have been successful for, let's say, five years. And that strategy worked very, very well for five years. Right. Well, now what strategy is right? There's so many contradictions out there. You have to find something and stick to that strategy that you think works and has been proven as well. Don't just find something that's a uh, was it flash in the pan, I think, flash is the, the, the terminology, yeah. and all of a sudden you're stuck with crap, is right. what I'm going to say. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you can't say crap in uh, high school, at junior high school anymore. Oh, interesting. <laughs> no, <laughs> I guess I'll have to get written up. <laughs> I know, you get written up. But but it, but it is so important. And, and again, when people are investing money, they and they'll come into our office and we do, you know, the free consultation and so forth. Well, you know, I'm not a long-term investor, you know, and I, you know, I want to see what happens in the next couple of years. Well, almost everyone is a long-term investor because I, and I've been doing this again for 40 years. I've had clients with me for, I think the longest, I think now is 38 years. I've had a client with me. Uh, and actually back 38 years ago, I didn't have a lot of clients, <laughs> but, um, but you are always a long-term investor unless you have a specific goal you're trying to meet. Well, I'm trying to save for a down payment for a house. Okay, that might be a two-year time frame. Probably shouldn't invest if you're doing that. But most of the time, you're investing money to build your net worth, to do something to where you can become independently wealthy, so to speak, so you can retire when you want to, not have to wait for Social Security at age 65. So that's what true investing is, is to build your net worth and you shouldn't be so worried about the short-term movements or trying to, well, this was a great idea. It worked for five years. You could be investing for 20, 30, maybe 40 years. So I know that that's the issue. A lot of people, when they hit retirement, they're like, oh, I'm not a long-term investor. I, I'm retired. Well, tell me the day you're going to die and then I'll agree that you're not a long-term investor. But if you're like 90 years old, hey, maybe you're going to live right. another 10 years. That's you never right. know. I mean, I saw there's a guy that lived till 105 in Japan the other day on, wow. on CNBC and I was like, wow, you never know if that's going to be you. And you can't run out of money, so you are a long-term investor. And we do have a lot of clients in their 80s, uh, quite a few clients in their 90s. I mean, people are living longer, um, so you don't know. And then what you're actually doing is say, and then even if you did know the day that you're going to die, well, what you may want to do is build your family wealth. Uh, and if you do it properly, your family can do well also because oh, of tax reasons. Yeah. So, alrighty, there's a closing bell. Thank you for listening to the Smart Investing Show. Unfortunately, it goes by too fast every week, but it is for information person only and should not be used as investment advice. If you'd like to discuss in more detail your investment needs or have other investment questions, feel free to call myself Brent Wilsey or Chase Wilsey at 858 546 4306. That's 858 
546-4306 or visit our website smartinvesting2000.com that's smartinvesting2000.com and for more daily educational information on investment tips go to our Facebook page Smart Investing with Brent and Chase Wilsey today's show is sponsored in part by Thomson Reuters closing song is performed by local entertainer Roman Palacios have a great day we'll talk more next week right here on the Smart Investing Show Not in a shop. This program is sponsored by Wilsey Asset Management.